as I said again, to be a part of this great country. But you know what? Even greater, what a blessing to be a part of the family of God through the person of Jesus Christ. If there was a greatest sacrifice of love, it was from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who became our very sin and redeemed us. So even on July 4th, when we celebrate our freedoms, we as Christians, let us remember to celebrate our freedom in Jesus Christ. And what a blessing to know him. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and we're going to read that in just a moment. I remember watching an interview one time with President Ronald Reagan. I'll tell you, bar none, probably one of my favorite presidents. I love to read about Ronald Reagan. Not only was he a, a great man, he was a great politician. And one of the things that I, I love about him that I heard that he would say, you know what, I don't know a whole lot about agriculture, but I'm going to have the best guy who does know about agriculture helping me. He always surrounded himself with the best people. And it was said that when people would come and, and meet him, if you had his attention, you had his attention, not everybody else. And this is what he said one in this interview. He says, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation going under. We will be a nation going under. You know, church, our, our founding fathers gave us a country's founding documents, such as the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, and others. And in order for them to form such documents, they had to lean upon some common understanding of law and government. And they had to have a basic moral code. And these understandings, pray, uh, they, they sprang from a common acceptance that has become known as the Judeo-Christian principle. And we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. We're going to see what our country was founded upon. And folks, the things that we were founded upon, that, that are the foundations that we stand upon, are crumbling underneath our feet. There is a plague that has hit our country called Marxism. That's where it all started. It turned to communism in Russia, it turned to socialism, and it's trying to infiltrate our country right now. And it goes against the very principles by which our country was founded upon. This term Judeo-Christian refers to the influence of the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament on one system of values, laws, and ethical code. It is not just a system of theological thought, but of cultural values as seen in one's individual's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, some would argue that our founding fathers, some of them were not Christians but deists. And you know what? I, I didn't know any of them personally, so I couldn't tell you where they stood. Many of them did speak out about their faith. But all of them stood on that one principle. And their writings and their words and their votes indicate, me, indicate that the vast majority of them embraced this Judeo-Christian Bible as a basis for a civilized society and order. Folks, it was this book that it was founded upon. So we as Christians even more should understand what this book means to us as Americans. Do you know that the Bible is still the number one bestseller on the New York Times list? It amazes me that so many Bibles are being sold every year, but nobody's reading them. I guess it's just something to have a Bible sitting in your house. 
But you know what? How many of God's people take this Bible and, okay, they may go to church on Sunday morning for an hour, but then they don't open it for the rest of the week? Listen, it is so important in these days that we're living in that the church remember these same anchors of faith and values that were brought to us from the Word of God. You see, doing it God's way is the only right way to stay out of trouble. You know, I tell my boys when we were raising them, you know, people around them, they saw we're living in different ways and seem to be enjoying the sin that, 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 that the human can enjoy. But I told them, I said, God says, don't do it that way. And some people say, well, that's just a bunch of rules and regulations. But I don't, I don't look at God's, God's way as being rules and regulations. It keeps you out of trouble. I told my boys, I said, you don't do it God's way, and you're going to find yourself as in a place that you don't want to be. As they, sin, as they say, sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And folks, our country is paying the price because of sin. I saw a sign on a church uh, a few years ago when all this racism was coming out. It says, it said, it's not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. And I said, amen to that. Our country is plagued by immorality, by hate, and by just by unethical ways of living. We are selfish, self-centered, and it's every man for himself. We have taken to the evolutionary thought, every man for himself. Survival of the fittest. And I'm going to tell you something, church. We are experiencing God's judgment today, today because we as a nation, even more, we as a church have forgotten that. We have forgotten it. And so this morning as we continue, I want to go through these, these, these principles that our, our country was founded upon. But before we do that, if you'll stand with me as we read God's Word, Second Chronicles, Chronicles, man, I'm bad this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 7. We're going to read verse 14. Many of you know this verse, but I think it applies. It applied to God's people. It applies to us today, and it applies to our country. It simply says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you today for the reading of your holy word. And Lord, may today, may we apply its truths to our life. Lord, may we remember the principles by which we were founded upon. And Lord, even if our country continues to forget, may we as a church not forget what you led our founding fathers to establish here to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, to live our lives in such a way that it pleases you. And so Lord, I just pray today that you would guide us, guide me by your Holy Spirit, and speak your truth today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The first principle I want to look at that our country was founded upon is simply this, the dignity of human life. The dignity of human life. The Scriptures tell us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, Thou shalt not kill. Okay, the word kill there in the Hebrew actually means murder. So the better thing is to say, thou shalt not murder. We know that murder is simply just killing someone just because you hate them. Matthew 22, 39 says, And the second is like to this, Jesus speaking of the greatest commandments. He said, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Scriptures emphatically teach the great importance of the respect for the preservation of human life. 
Folks, it's the one thing that we don't believe in anymore. We don't care about that. In fact, in the Declaration of Independence, we mentioned it just a few moments ago, it says that every man, woman, and child has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we don't only believe this for our, for our country, but we believe it for others. Why? Because we send our, our military to fight on foreign soil to help preserve life. We see bullies. We see people, uh, the, the, these world leaders just killing and genocide, and we fight against that. It's what our country was founded upon. You see, if people and nations do not grant this respect and protection for the born, and yes, folks, the unborn, all other professed morals and values are meaningless because we're no longer under, undergirded by the most basic of human needs, the exist, the right to exist. People have a right to life, and the dignity of human life is, is not just a principle of the Bible. It's the beginning principle of a civilized society. But it's something, like I said, that we are constantly forgetting in our country. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says, In the last days, perilous times would come. What did he mean by that? The term perilous actually means savage. The word savage gives the idea of, a, of an animal ripping at a dead carcass and eating it. And folks, look at our country. Look at the violence. Look at how it's on the rise. Even our churches are being attacked violently. Just to give you a few statistics, according to Pew Research Center, the murder rate rose 30% from 2019 to 2020, the highest in over a century. According to PubMed, a child will see 16,000 simulated murders and 200,000 acts of violence by the time they're 18 years old. Think about that. In the first 18 years of their life, they're going to see 16,000 simulated murders, killings, 200,000 acts of violence. Folks, this is the devil's playground. Parents, be careful. Make sure you know what your kids are looking at. Between video games, the internet, YouTube, you name it, these kids are seeing so much violence. And no wonder our country has turned into violence because it's what we're pouring into our young people. I read a story a few years ago about a 13-year-old boy. He was walking up to a gas station and there was a man sitting in his car. And this man was a father. He had two sons sitting in his back seat or excuse me, two children. And this young 13-year-old boy walks up to the man and says, hey, can, I, can you give me $2? The man told him, said, son, I don't have any cash on me. In fact, my wife's inside the, the store, and she's purchasing everything we have with our debit card. We just don't carry cash. The 13-year-old boy pulls out a gun and shoots the man right in the head and kills him right in front of his two children. Later on, the cops finally caught up with this young boy and they asked him why he did it. And this was his words. He dissed me. Now, according to what I heard, according to what that means, it means he disrespected me. Because he didn't give you $2, you shoot the man and kill him in front of his own children. This is those savage times that we're living in. And folks, thank God in the last month, we saw our Supreme Court finally take a stand for something that was right and overturn Roe v. Wade. And I thank God for that. 
It needed to be overturned, but now our states need to step up and say, enough is enough. We're not going to kill unborn children anymore. Folks, I will never encourage anybody to do it, but if you want to, look up what they do in abortion. It's the most horrific, violent act you could ever do on any other person. And up until the 1980s, we all believed. Every scientist would tell you, every doctor out there would tell you that life begins at conception, but all of a sudden, after all these thousands of years, we're getting it wrong. Life doesn't begin until they come out of the womb. And now some, even in the state of New York, are saying life doesn't even begin unless the mother wants to keep the child. Even if it's outside of the womb, we'll kill it. This has become our America. And folks, why are we not angry about it? Why do we sit silently and not get out there and vote, not get out there and stand in the public arena and say enough is enough? According to the Guttmacher Institute, since Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 63,459,781 abortions have happened. Folks, that's more than, that might be more than all the wars that have ever lasted in history. The greatest genocide that, that the world has ever been seen has, seen has been done upon the unborn. The place where a child should be safe and comfortable and protected by its mother is a place of great murder. God told us that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. He said within the womb, He formed us and protected us and covered us. We've forgotten that as a country. That first principle, the right to life. Principle number two, the traditional family. Genesis 2, 21 through 24 says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took on one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. I only see two genders there, folks. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Folks, the biblical view of marriage and family is the basis of our society and serves as a backbone of a healthy social order. It's what our founding fathers knew. But even before them, God put it in his book. One man, one woman coming together, creating children together. Folks, you can't have children without a man and woman being involved. Marriage has been defined as a holy union between one man and one woman. And again, out of that union comes children. You see, when parents have children... And they come into a loving home. That father and mother are to nurture them and teach them how to become a healthy, productive, and responsible citizen. You know what, folks? Me and my wife, we decided from the very beginning when our children were born, we were not only going to teach them the, the, the greatest truth that you could ever teach your child, and that's that Jesus loves them. I heard a great theologian once say, they asked him, they said, out of all the truths in the Bible, you studied Hebrew, you studied Greek. What's the greatest truth you've ever read in the Scriptures? And he simply said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This is what we need to be pouring into our children, the love of Jesus Christ. But also, because we live in this society, we need to teach them how to be a good citizen and how to treat other people with dignity and respect. And we raised our children 
and our boys not only to be good citizens and Christians. I remember when my oldest Chandler was, was little, I had to go down to, um, it might have been when I was going, we first went to Coastal Shores and I became pastor there. I had to, they were doing a background check on me. And uh, at that time, you had to go down to the police station and you had to give your fingerprints. Man, I never felt more like a criminal than one. <laughs> I was like, man, please don't put cuffs on me. But while we were sitting there waiting for me to go get my, uh, my, my fingerprints done, A military personnel walked into the, into, the, uh, into the police station there. And I'll never forget this. I remember it to this day. Chandler looked at me, and he, he just elbowed me, and he was just staring at this guy. And I said, what, son? Why? Don't stare. He goes, but, Daddy, it's a hero. And I'll never forget that. Because I taught my children, you love and respect our military. They don't know you, but they're willing to put their life on the line for your freedom. You respect our police officers and our EMT workers and our firemen because they're willing to put their life on the line to save your life. Don't you ever disrespect that authority. I said, even if the person that's in that place is not worthy of respect, you respect the position that it's in, that they're in. But moms and dads are not teaching children that anymore. I worked with a guy one time. He said that this little boy in his neighborhood stole his bike. He knew where the little boy lived, so he got his dad, and he and his dad went over to the boy, little boy's house. And there his bike was, sitting in the front yard. And so he knocks on, his dad knocks on the door, and the young man's father comes up to him, and he says, Sir, he said, I, I just want to let you know that's my son's bike, and your son stole it from out of our yard. And I'm here to take it back. And the guy said, Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. Please take your bike back with you. As they were walking away, the door was left open, and it was just a screen door there. And he heard the father look at his son, and he said, What did I tell you? Don't ever get caught when you do things like that. Teaching their children that it's okay to steal. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now, nothing is more under attack than the, than the traditional family that God set up in America today. It is under the biggest attack it's ever been. Our homes are full of hatred, cruelty. The home is not set up the way that God set it up. You know, somebody said, well, the divorce rate has gone down. I said, yeah, because people just aren't getting married anymore. I heard, I heard an old preacher say one time, they're just shacking up. It's a sin of shackerosity. That's a little bit funny, but folks, there's nothing funny about it. People are living immorally today in our country, and we wonder why God's hand is off of us. Moms, dad, grandparents, raise your children to respect the traditional family. Now, here's something that'll get you. The University of Virginia, not a, not a Christian university, a secular university, did a social study of the American home over a 20-year period. They took and looked at the different kinds of homes in our country. They took a home with just a father, a home with just a mother, a home with a mother and a father and a healthy relationship. They looked at same-sex marriage. They looked at, at all sorts of different kinds of homes. And this is what their findings were. The children that were raised in a home where there was a loving father and a loving mother in a traditional, healthy environment, they said that the children 
were more confident. They made better choices. They made better career choices. Just overall, they ended up with a better life. Now, before any of y'all get upset, let me go ahead and say this. That doesn't mean that in some of these other homes there weren't successes. But the God home, the traditional home, had the greatest statistics. Why do you think that is? Because God set it up in a way that it would work right. That's why I tell my sons, I said, boys, be careful what young lady you choose. Make sure that she loves God more than she will ever love you. Make sure that she respects her parents. Make sure that she has the same values that you have, or you're going to have a horrible marriage. And I said, you may have to wait a while for it. And I tell young ladies, be careful what young man you bring into your life. And just because you meet them at church doesn't mean they're the right one. Trust me, I know that personally. That was before Missy, okay? I had to make sure I said that because I said, man, I can't believe he said that about his wife. I said, no, that's not who I'm talking about. Now, I did meet Missy at church, thank goodness, and boy, did, whew, I'll tell you this, what, a, what God gave me, amen, and, uh, and thankful for that. But folks, understanding this, this is what our, fan, our country was founded upon, these, these values, and these are the values we're losing, and we're going to pick it up here a little bit. But principle number three, a national work ethic. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. You see, ingrained deep within the American spirit was placed the willingness and desire to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. That's the way our country was founded. Every, everybody worked hard. Everybody worked uh, well and, and did what they were supposed to do. And we, we built a huge and, and massive and powerful country. You know, the independent spirit, independent spirit has no desire to exist on handouts from the government or even siphon off a living from benevolence or friendships. It's what allowed America to create the greatest and strongest economy in the history of the world. You know, Ephesians 6, 6 tells, it says, servants. It says, serve your masters not with, and, and verse 6 it says, not with eye service, but because you serve God. You know what, Christians? You ought to be the best workers at your place of business. You ought to be the hardest workers. And you, ought, and you ought not to do it just when the boss is looking. You ought to be doing it when he's not looking. That's what it means by eye service. That means I'm going to work hard no matter what because I'm not working for that company. I'm working for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to honor him with the way that I work and how hard I work. That's something I taught my children. And prayerfully, they'll continue to live by that example. You go to work, you work hard. Not because you want somebody to see it, but because you love Jesus and you want to honor Him with your life. You know, true Americans have had their challenges. The Great Depression of the 30s knocked us to our knees. But it did not beat us. You know, Americans came together hand in hand and heart to heart, helped one another and lifted our nation back to economic might. But today it's every man for himself. You know what brought us out of the Great Depression really was World War II. That's what brought us out of the Great Depression. We sent our men over to fight. The women and others 
came together and started working in the, in, the, in the factories, producing and doing, and all of a sudden our economy shot back up because we were all united in one thing. What amazing things happen when people are united, amen? Can you imagine a church that's united on one purpose and that's to build the kingdom of God, what God can do with that? But Americans can do the same if we'll just come together again. I looked up this statistic this week. It says inflation at its high, is, at, is at its highest since 1981. That was the Carter administration. Many of you remember that. The Bureau of Labor and Statistics said it is at 8.6%. But I'll be honest with you, I dare say it's probably way higher than that. That's probably an ultra-conservative view. You know, the, the nations of the world used to look at America and say, man, where did, this, where did this spirit of honest labor come from? It came because we built upon God's Word. This was our foundation. And at one time, even the church's foundation was God's Word. But even that's under attack today. Number four, the right to a God-centered education. De Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall ask of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You know what? God left no room for a time that is not a time for you to be teaching your children the principles of God. I mean, look at that again. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you're walking down the street. When you lie down, when you get up in the morning, always be teaching your children the truths and the principles of God. Educate them. Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in what? The training and admonition of the Lord. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, one cannot possibly understand creation without first knowing its creator. Amen? Knowing God is how we know how creation exists, how we are all this. Do you know that our forefathers certainly understood this? Because most of America's oldest and most respected universities, such as Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and Dartmouth, were founded by Christian preachers or churches. Think about that. Now, I would dare say don't ever go there to get a theological education today. They definitely aren't where you want to go today, but back... Well, let's just take Harvard University. It was founded in 1936, and it adopted what was called rules and precepts, which include the following. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. That was in their principles at Harvard University. Wow! Its original seal had these words, truth for Christ and the church. If any of y'all ever seen that, uh, that video monumental that Kirk Cameron put out, it's pretty good. It actually goes to the school. Uh, they probably have removed it by this point, but it even had that tr truth for Christ in the church was written on one of their gates. But it used to be all over the campus. Do you know that the first textbook for children, the New England Primer, that was written in America? This is how it taught the ABCs. A, in Adam's fall, we send all. B, heaven find the Bible mine. You won't see that in the elementary schools today. Folks, today's youth are tomorrow's future. And this is what our first president, 
George Washington. This is what he said and in, in, in talking about a God-centered education. He says, reason and experience both forbid us to expect the nas- that national morality can prevail to the exclusion of religious principle. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. This was our first president. I dare say you won't hear that from our president today. In fact, right after Roe Roe versus Wade, he got up and said, this is a hard, a horrible day for our country. Our own president doesn't have a respect for life. But you know what, folks? God told of people that a bad nation, an evil nation, a wicked nation, I'll give you wicked leaders. Our president and our leaders are there because God put them there. Understand that all authority is established by God. But why does he establish that? You want it, you got it. America has turned its back on God. Today, the curse of Marxist and communist ideals are being spread (coughs) into our educational system. I'm going to tell you that in the secular universities, teachers are being taught what to think and not how to think. Today, in the classroom, your kids don't bring home paper anymore. Why? Because they do everything on a computer in class. Let me tell you something. There is a reason for that, to keep you blinded from what they're learning. You better be looking at what your kids are learning because they're not learning truth. I was just in high school. I graduated in 1992. That's really not that long ago. But the history books have changed since then. They're rewriting them. And we as a church have sat silently. Critical race theory, the LGBTQ, now is being put into our schools. They have, they have, they have transgenders coming in and teaching kindergartners. Somebody asked about sex education and how we should teach it in our schools and, and that we need to start teaching when they're five years old about, <clears throat> about gender neutrality and all this other kind of stuff. I'm like, listen, first of all, I didn't learn about sex ed until I was in what, middle school, high school. And even then, we just learned the mechanics. We didn't learn about the moral side of it. You know where the moral side of sexuality is taught? In the home. And in the church. (gasps) In the church? Yes. You ever read Song of Solomon? God taught us what true sexuality is, but we have perverted it in our country. And I know that what I'm preaching right now is very unpopular, and I'll tell you eventually we'll come to a day that I might be in trouble for that. But I don't care. I stand on the Word of God. Just because the majority says it's okay doesn't mean it's okay. I stand with Jesus. I hope you will too. Folks, even the the evolutional theory is being taught as fact. You know what? That's an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? It's like saying big little. We're saying theory fact. You can't call it a theory and call it a fact at the same time. You know why they can't call it a fact? Because they can't prove it. They can't, repre- uh, they can't redo it in a science lab. <clears throat> and there's no proof of it anywhere. Principle 5, the Abrahamic covenant. I'm not going to read these verses, but if you read in Genesis 12, 1 through 4, God tells him, Abraham to leave his country. He said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it says that Abraham left with his, with his family and with his nephew Lot, and they went. Galatians 3, 7 says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. 
You know, we're a part of that Abrahamic covenant. We're a part of the nations of the world being blessed. The Gentiles got the gospel. Jesus came through the, the nation that God created through Abraham. <clears throat> because of the Jewish people, we have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. I think there was only one, if I'm correct, I might be wrong, I'm, I'm pretty sure, only one Gentile writer in the New Testament, and that was Luke. I thank God for the Jewish nation. And I'm going to tell you right now, if our country ever turns our back on Israel, God will turn his back completely on us. And we're already seeing that. You see, the Abrahamic covenant states that if a person or a nation obeys God, observing the moral truths found in the Bible, that person or nation will be blessed. If they disobey, they will bring punishment upon themselves. The writer of Proverbs says it plainly in Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And that's what our nation has become. Anne Graham Lotz, Dr. Graham's, Billy Graham's daughter, right after 9-11, there was this smug reporter who had her in an interview and says, where was your God on 9-11? Y'all talk about God and this being a nation under God. Where was he at when those two towers were attacked and it fell? The first time we've been attacked on our own soil since the Revolutionary War. And Anne Graham Lotz gave them one of the best answers I've ever heard. She says, well, in the 1960s, we asked God to get out of our schools. and We took prayer out. She said in the 1970s, we told him to get out of our homes with Roe v. Wade. Let us make our own choices about our morality and our, our bodies. And she said, and even in our churches today, we're asking God to leave. You know the Laodicean church, the last church? It's God, Jesus is standing on the outside of the church door knocking, saying, let me back in. We use that Revelation 3.20 for evangelism, but really he's talking about the church, the Laodicean church, the last church that would exist in the days of the world. We've kicked God out. And she says, and this is her final statement, she says, is it any wonder why he's left? Principle number six, common decency. Matthew 22.39, we read this before, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Decent nations are made up of decent people. And when faced with a, a situation, we'll do the decent and honest thing. We were founded upon that. Americans have given their lives in wars on foreign soil that others may taste freedom. We've worked to feed the poor and the hungry, clothe the naked, and aid the crippled. We've opened our arms to many of the world's oppressed peoples and allowed them safe harbor upon our shores. Do you know that engraved on the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor, are these words by Emma Lazarus? Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door, and it's become a world-renowned symbol of freedom. But today, our country, we've let go of our morals. we let go of the things that we, we once did. Like I said, we become a selfish nation. We don't do the decent thing anymore. We do whatever makes our flesh happy. Principle number seven as we close, our, our personal accountability to God, folks. This is probably one of the most important things. Hebrews 9, 27. And as it is appointed for men once to die, but after this, the judgment. 
One day we will give an account for our actions to Almighty God. No one will escape that day. The story is told of Daniel Webster, the great American statesman who once asked, what is the most sobering thought that ever entered your mind? He quickly responded, my personal accountability to God. Folks, we don't fear God anymore. We don't fear him in the house. We don't fear him in the church. We don't fear him anywhere. We have no respect for him anymore. And there was a time we were a blessed nation because we believed that. Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, 17, though, church, listen, judgment begins in the church house. America is where it is today because we, as God's people, have neglected our responsibility to reach our world. We have become complacent, tolerant, and lazy. Folks, I know this is hard. But we've got to quit being so self-centered. We've forgotten that there is a lost world that needs saving. And too many times I hear that our desire to reach them is for our own personal gain as a church. Pastor Tim said in the, in the Saturday night meeting one time, he says, you know, we talk about wanting to reach young families and millennials. He said, but I'm going to tell you this. He says, if you try to reach these millennials and these young people because you want to get something out of them, they'll go somewhere else. How about just reaching them because we love them? How about just reaching them because we just want to see the kingdom of God built? Let's quit worrying about young families. Let's quit worrying about, about, about how to build our church, and let's build his church. That's what it's about, folks. A church that is out building the kingdom of God, you ain't got to worry about his existence. You know what? God will bring people in. He's not going to let a church that's building the kingdom shut its doors. Jesus said this, Upon this rock I will build my church. Folks, we are plagued in our country. As I said, racism and hate and agendas. Our homes are under great attack. Second Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Church, these are seven principles that we built our country on. And they all came from the Word of God. Let me ask you something. What's your home built upon? Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you know what? If individual homes and individuals themselves would just say, God, I want to serve you and I want to be faithful to you. And I'm going to do my part to reach my neighbors. How many of you know your neighbor so well that you've earned the right to speak the gospel into their lives? Or is it just passing fancies? God has placed you where he has placed you for a purpose. That's to reach the people around you. If you're born again today, it's your responsibility. Yes, church, your responsibility for those who are lost around you. To be a child of God means you're to be a witness. We're all missionaries. And that's including me. Don't get me wrong. Every minister has to do his part in the gospel message too. But it is the people's responsibility in the church. Where are you at this morning, church? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this morning.
Lord, I thank you for the, the truths we found in your word. Yes, Lord, this morning's message was more of a 